0: Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you here, Chad Adams. Sitting in for Pete. Pete out in the world. He's loose. You guys, he's not trapped behind a microphone. He's loose in the world. I hear spotted in western Charlotte heading over toward that Gaston area. Just be on the lookout. Pete's on the loose. Not here. I'm here. He's there. You want to get in on the conversation, you give us a call 704 Five seven zero eleven ten. Five seven zero eleven ten. News Talk eleven ten. Ninety nine three WBT. Having so much fun, so much fun. It's just a peachy keen day, man. It is almost seventy degrees in February. Happy climate change. Happy climate change to you. It changed since yesterday. It's going to change again over the weekend. It's going to get cold, but not right now. Now back to I, I love comparing you know, I love comparing different ways of looking at similar news. And one of them is that the the president's way he, he, he is losing. And Roy, this is funny, Roy Cooper, to a lesser extent, Roy Cooper has been a, a, one of the most interesting things about this particular governor is how the only defining characteristic of his entire eight years in office will be COVID. And I don't, necessarily believe that history will say that he did a stellar job. I don't think that the the mandates necessarily worked. They did they did a great job of hurting economies, especially in small town North Carolina and changing the way we look at work and a pro- probably a rise of entrepreneurship. But I don't think, you know, he he vetoed every budget until this year. The first one he actually signed, Medicaid didn't get expanded. It may yet in the next or two years of his governor, two and a half years of his governorship, three years, I guess he's got three years left. Lame duck governor, not likely to pick up a lot of seats to help him. He's going to be, you know, have been his entire, it, it appears that in the entirety of his gubernatorial leadership time will have been spent arguing with Republicans and, and tweeting things out th- via his staff, but no real vision for the state, no vision that the lower taxes and yet Every year he's been in office, that those lower taxes have happened, uh, the budget, the the ability to pay for bills, revenue has increased. Even though he he criticized it as an attorney general, he criticized it as governor, and yet every year he was wrong. He's been wrong every year about that. Consistently, consistently wrong. During all the the, the rioting in Fayetteville and Raleigh and Charlotte, the governor was oddly not not all that engaged about you know pointing out how bad that was, how the damage. How the fires? He was very weak on that. This isn't a strong governor. He hasn't been. And he he's loathes Can't stand the Republicans. I don't mean that to be mean. You just look at his career and the way look at the internal look. I know some of the folks on his staff. He doesn't like Republicans. But there's nothing striking about. If I were to ask you anything about what you think Governor Cooper's accomplished, very little that you can say other than a lot of news conferences during an election year, which didn't hurt. Got about ten million dollars in free pay to you know free to advertising. But did it change the outcome? Does our state look really unique, juxtaposed against any other state that had more freedom or less freedom? I would say no. Now, kicking it up to the presidency, and I'll guarantee you, Roy Cooper, the Democrats don't want Joe Biden to be seen anytime soon. I mean, I don't know if Cooper's got aspersions to go to D.C. after he finishes up the second term or not. But I, you know, Joe Biden isn't exactly a collector of crowds. I think if, if he came to North Carolina You know, you you might catch a glimpse of him, not because there was a crowd there, but for lack of a crowd, might see a guy kind of just walking down the street that happened to be president. (laughs) It's not like it's not like crowds clamor. In fact, protesters, you might notice that he's there because he has more protesters than listeners. A nation exhausted by a two year pandemic. This is according to CNN again. A nation exhausted by a two-year pandemic struggling against rising food and gas prices driven to distraction by school closures and torn about by a political schism that erupted into violence is far from at ease with itself. The sense of turmoil was captured in their poll we talked about that showed uh, waning faith in U.S. elections and found that nearly 60% of Americans who disapprove of how Biden is handling his presidency couldn't name anything other than he's not Donald Trump. That's the problem. And it's funny that CNN doesn't like then I hate to use the word like, like this, they don't connect any of what's happening to him. It's as if these things are happening in a vacuum and the president just happens to be there, that the Ukrainian situation happened and Biden just happened to be the guy in the Oval Office when it went down, or that when China is launching... Aerial fighters over Taiwan. Biden just happened to be in the presidency when this unconnected to the view of him or the southern border and all that's happening down there is untethered and unconnected to the guy in office. But you juxtapose this against the New York Post version uh, of this, and it's kind of interesting. This is by Stephen Moore. Now I've interviewed Stephen a couple of times, and he's uh, he, he you know this is a conservative perspective, an economist. He Art Laffer, very good friends. Good news and bad news from the Labor Department this week. The good news, wages last year were up almost 4, well, actually 4.6%. In normal times, that's a number that would make us happy. You would. Bad news, prices for everything are up 7.5% according to the latest inflation numbers. The last time inflation was this high was in 1982. There are still uh, also reports that the new way that the government calculates inflation artificially reduced the stated inflation number and that the real Price is actually closer to 8%. Now, we see this, this numerical historical change in things. When you don't like the numbers, just change it. If you don't like the literacy rate in your state, make the test easier. It's a lot easier to make the test easier than it is to educate the kids. In mean, Arkansas did this years ago when Hillary Clinton was help running that. And it's kind of fascinating. You, you push an initiative, and then you look at your rate, and you go, wow, we went from 80% up to 90% literacy. Well, because you went from reading War and Peace to reading Dr. Seuss, Green Eggs and Ham, and everybody could read that. All of a sudden, everybody's literate. Now, if we could just reduce public policy to Dr. Seuss terms, maybe it'd get further, especially with like AOC and stuff. Also reports that the new way we're closer to 8 percent. By the way, last month, the last month that DT was in office, Donald Trump, in January of 2021, inflation was 1.6 percent. In one year, price increases have quadrupled. They'd love to blame Trump for that, but they really have trouble. Grocery bills are up more than 10%. Energy costs up more than 30%, according to the Labor Department. Don't expect any relief from the higher sticker prices anytime soon. Grocery store chains are reporting higher costs to get milk, steaks, broccoli, eggs, snacks, everything, if they could even get stuff. Grocery store prices could rise, get this, another 10 to 20% over the next six months because of the supply chain issues. Meanwhile, given all the turmoil in Ukraine, the price of oil has surged. By the way, $90 a barrel when this was written, it's $94 today. You heard that in the break, $94 a barrel, which means when you go to the gas pump, you think it's high now, it's going higher. Continuing our discussion, you want to get on the conversation, it's 704-570-1110. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender, News Talk 1110-993. And we did have someone, thank you for holding, Rick. Apologies for that one. Appreciate you holding through the break. Rick, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Hey Chad, um I was listening to you guys. I listen every day and I just wanted to call and tell you, good Lord, you're doing a great job. This is probably the most entertained I've been since uh Rush passed away. You just uh it's just
0: awesome. Wow. I uh humbled and appreciative. Thank you. Uh, you know, yeah, great company it's, it's and really, a great station.
1: Yeah, I could talk to you or I could listen to you all day long. Uh, and I've got like a hundred questions, but the one that I wanted to ask is you know I, I feel like the Democrats are uh, they're overplaying their hand, and you know they're gonna lose probably a hundred seats in uh november and um you know I've always been entertained about the thought of um a Speaker of the House coming from outside of the house uh whether it's DeSantis or Trump or somebody and um You know, I think what's happening right now is that they're doing enough damage to themselves where they may lose the Houses of Congress for maybe 20 years, maybe two generations. But what do you think about that, about uh, somebody else coming in from the outside?
0: Well, you you asked some really good questions. I think they're very germane. I would go back to what Tip O'Neill said, famous Democrat from the Reagan era. You know, all politics is local, and and with the and, you know <laughs> screw up there on the language, I, I think that Biden saying Biden's out for re-election are are way premature. Anything can happen. Americans are fickle. We have there's we're into massive we're kind of a massive pendulum swing where we go from a Donald from an Obama to a Donald Trump, from a Donald Trump back to an a, a Biden. And then we, we have these massive swings where we have Republicans that are in leadership than Democrats. I think the Democrats miscalculated on many. I mean, they ran through the minefield of American political intrigue and hit every mind they could. They hit every every possible way of creating catastrophic craters in the way they look at the world. Uh, and they're saying the quiet parts out loud. I mean, there's, they, they, they stepped into a critical race. They stepped in it not letting parents speak up. They stepped in it masking kids. There, there's film clips right now of Nevada schoolrooms. Or they get told the masks are no longer needed and the kids just start cheering. You've got high school kids walking out in protest. To your point about systemic decline for Democrats over the next two decades... The fact that they're creating an entire generation of people that want to push back against government because of the past two years of COVID, I think is a real threat to Democrats. I think the Hispanics moving to the right, not liking what they see from the Democrats. I think that uh, African-American black voters are more and more realizing that they are not a part of a group speak Democrat, just mindset that they're owned by the Democrats. They're pushing back against that. I think the Democrats are up against some serious headwinds. The degree to which they can sue and change things around. Again, when I said Tip O'Neill, all politics is local. Every one of those, you talked about a 100 seat gain. I would say closer to 60 to 80. Nonetheless, still looks like historic gains in the House and uh, in the Senate seats the Democrats have to defend are going to be touchier and more difficult for them. There's only about a third of the seats that are up this time due to the way it is uh, set up. Now, having said that, you have to have candidates to run in all those seats. Clearly, redistricting isn't completed everywhere. You're going to have to have good candidates. You're going to have to have good campaigns. You're going to have to have Dem- – and several Democrats have walked away. I think we're not done seeing Democrats walk away yet. I think a few more will. They're running out of issues to have any kind of primacy on. I don't think they have any areas where they really have primacy on right now, and that's a problem for them moving forward. So to your point, do I think that that, that it's generational? That remains to be seen because and, – and, and another question you asked that I liked was – Will there be an outsider that could be speaker? Because right now, the presumptive speaker of the House, should the Republicans retake it, would be Kevin McCarthy. But a lot of folks on the conservative right are not as fond of Kevin as McCarthy. So if he is to become speaker, he's going to have to make a deal to get enough votes to become speaker. Is it possible to see somebody else? Uh, you know, there, there are a number of other issues, uh, other folks uh, waiting in the wings that could be. I'm not going to speculate on who that could be. But or someone from outside, the problem with someone from outside is you're going to be have a staff that's going to be a bunch of insiders. You're not going to know how D.C. works. So I I think you're going to see someone from the inside. It could be McCarthy or it could be, you know, someone else that's more on the to the right of McCarthy. So having said that, a lot of political intrigue yet to go on that front. Uh, and appreciate the call. Love callers. And, and always, that's the my favorite part of any given show, no matter who I'm interviewing, is usually getting the callers in there to be a part of things. So we appreciate that. Now, when we get on the other side of the break, we've got a little bit <laughs> on the other side of the break. We'll be talking about what would you think about reparations for the businesses that were damaged, this whole reparations thing. And the Brownstone Institute has an interesting piece about that. So we'll get into that. On the other side of the break. So do stay tuned, and we're gonna have a lot of fun, as always, and your calls, if you are so inclined to be a part of the show today. Thanks for the compliment. We'll be right back. Wow. What a day. I don't know if any of you are paying attention. I'm, I'm gonna get to this. And Ryan, you know, Ryan reminded me of it. I'd seen it in the break. So the markets are tanking across the board, Nasdaq down three sixty-eight, S P down eighty. Uh, the Nasdaq's down 2.5%, dropping like a rock. Dow down 446. You're going, wait, what happened? Yeah, there was a bad inflationary report. That's bad. No, that's settling in. What's happening is uh, right now there's a press conference going on and Jake Sullivan's talking in terms that are very stark and 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 problematic. The Biden administration dealing with yet another foreign policy crisis in Ukraine has said Americans have 24 to 48 hours to get out. Get out of the Ukraine. starting to sound familiar, isn't it? It it wants you if you don't get out in the next 24, 48 hours, we're not going to be able to help you get out. We're not talking Afghanistan. We're talking about Ukraine. It's like Americans abandoning uh, all these fronts. You have to ask yourself, you know, from a foreign policy standpoint, you don't have to be a genius on foreign policy to recognize some of the some of the stuff that would make sense in almost any administration, including the Obama administration. If you were really concerned about the Russian uh, impending invasion of Ukraine or China's impending dominance over Taiwan. You would do preemptive things. You would punish before. You don't say, well, if you do it, I'm going to punish you. You'd punish before. Get your troops off the border. We're going we're to enact all of these. NATO, we're all going to enact all of these economically devastating things to you until you move your troops off. You would do it preemptively, not after the fact. Now we're dealing with an invasion. And, and In fact, Jake Sullivan, when you're listening to this, oh, we think they could do it during the Olympics, You know whether they care about what the Chinese think. The Chinese don't really care. The Chinese, are built, uh, the, the Chinese are not bent on world domination with the Russians, by the way. They're bent on world domination just over time. The Chinese play play the long game over hundreds of years. They're not worried about you know, owning the world tomorrow, but day after tomorrow, maybe. Chaicoms, ne- they've, they've never made any bones about wanting to have world domination. They just play the long game. The Russians want to restore what was Russia. I mean, that Putin's a former spook, former head of the KGB, a guy who says, hey, I like the way Russia used to look and feel. I want that back. Problem is, he's got an oligarchy and not just a communist party to deal with. So it's a very different world. But is it likely that he'll do this? Yeah, it could be full of bluster. But so the Americans have said, good of it. Well, our administration, the tremendously powerful Biden administration said, Americans, get out. We think something's going to happen. So and if you don't get out, we're not going to be able to help you get out. Sad. Sad, but true. That's where we are. And, uh, you know, I, I wish, <laughs> again, I said at the beginning of the show, I'd rather have an administration I disagree with than one that I think is chrono- just weak, just weak. And it's not just because he's older. It's because the people he surrounded himself with are weak. These are people that have a very strange view of the world that look at, at, at numbers and facts and think they don't apply to them. If you ever do pilot training, if you ever get in a cockpit and you're trying to be a pilot, one of the the – they call them dangerous attitudes. One of the attitudes that they try to tell you as a pilot that that they really want to steer you away from is it can't happen to me. It can't happen to me. In other words, that plane starts having problems. You think, well, I'm not going to crash because it can't happen to me. It's a very dangerous attitude. That you can have that will result in bad things happening with an aircraft. Now imagine being the most powerful administration on the planet Earth, or at least currently, not compared to past ones. But and thinking the same thing: Ah, uh, nothing bad can happen to us. We're we're the White House, and that's the added. When you hear Gen Psaki in these press conferences. Just steering things away, watching Biden talk about the inflation and saying, "Really, inflation? It's temporary." We well, gets challenged on inflation by Lester Holt, and he says, "Hey, you're being a wise guy with me," and then goes on to pivot and say, "We really, you know, I said inflation was temporary. The reason inflation's a problem is because car makers can't get computer chips." I lie to you, not. You can look up the clip. They want to pin. All It is the weirdest thing to me. Anybody, any manager that you've ever been, any good manager you've ever been around, any leader, ultimately says, hey, if there are problems in this, it's me. I've got to fix some things. Male, female, or in the words of the left other, it's on the individual at the top. And this is the first administration I can see that they have no connection to things they've done in any way. Not the southern border. Afghanistan, they thought was just a, They thought they they tried to say we just executed Trump's plan. No, you didn't. If you read Trump's plan, you would have known. You'd have done it very different. You got the Americans out first, not last. The southern border, you guys screwed that up ten ways from Sunday. You look at the, 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 the pumping money and, and looking at what the Fed's doing and just pumping money and thinking there's not going to be inflationary consequences. What this is third graders. What in fact, third graders could probably run it better. Let them take their mask off. And even the masking thing, unbelievable, that, that we're sitting with the, the mask policy that we've got in our schools. Uh, these, these film clips of kids being told they don't have to wear their mask anymore, and they cheer. And you've got high school students all over the country walking out of school because they're sick of the mask. They're sick of their, They're pushing back on authority in a way that would make 60s radicals proud. But the radicals of today are conservative. The pushing back against conservative, I mean pushing back against the left – is now the left is represented by CDC by the World Health Organization by Department of Homeland Security by the FBI by these big institutions that have eroded any semblance of trust from the American people and then wondering why the American people are pushing back against them and then releasing something as DHH did Department of Homeland excuse me DHS Department of Homeland Security released earlier today saying if you spread misinformation you're a domestic terrorist That, that, when a government, look, a people should never be afraid of their government. And those kind of words saying, wait a minute, you mean, and who determines what's misinformation? Is that the Department of Homeland Security that determines what's misinformation? And here's the thing not to stoke fears, do you trust these government institutions? I think it's critical that we do, but I think they've done precious little to restore that trust, especially from steel dossier time to now. Do you have more trust? And we need that. We're facing, and 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 I don't know how far, if the Russians were to do Putin could still blink and say, ah, I was just having some fun with the military stuff. Let's come back home. He could still, you don't know. He's a crafty former KGB guy who still thinks, and, and, and the Crimea still has power, right? So we don't know what he's going to do. But if it did escalate, NATO has been less than, the group of countries willing to lead on anything. So at the very, you know, if you saw that in the the former uh, Baltic states, they, they were last to get in on things, even when Clinton was in office. They were the last to kind of, oh, well, it's in our backyard. We better do something. And they just, Bosnia, Herzegovina, all that mess. The Europeans are not likely to jump into the Ukrainian. Now, if it does, if they do, then we all of a sudden have a larger regional conflict that will destabilize everything on the heels of covid and again, I've gotten way too deep on that because that's not where I wanted to go. This is just Ryan had pointed it out. It absolutely is happening. That Jake Sullivan uh, watching that in the break w- was hard to watch. It's just hard to watch an administration. That's the, the attitude. They, they really can't point to anything they've done to stop the Russians, just get the Americans out and pave the way. Now I have no idea where the hell this music came from. <laughs> I've <laughs> given Ryan a little bit of hard time. Ryan was apparently having more fun than I was over the break because Ryan was watching Jen Psaki, at least that's what I believe. And the, the, they, they turned it over from Jake Sullivan over to Jen Psaki and the, the comedic, you know, the, the comedy ensues. And I don't mean to be that in a facetious way. It's just the answers and the warped perspective upon which we are given information is bizarre and it is you know what is it it does not compute the old star trek it does not compute you can put this data in and the way it comes out is 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 certainly a a misanthrope way of looking at the planet earth and the rest of the things in it as if the law of physics don't apply to the very people talking at that podium it's an unbelievably weird way of looking things nonetheless it's a serious situation Stocks are not appreciating it very much, and the situation is not good. I, there's so much more I wanted to get to. We're here up against uh, Chad Adams guest hosting here. Uh, Monday and Tuesday supposed to be back. We'll see. Pete's having a good time being away from the studio, uh, pursuing the American dream somewhere. You know, I think you're more likely to see Bigfoot than you will run into Pete Callender in western, you know, the western part of Mecklenburg. But he's there somewhere. And I was going to get into an entire discussion about fringe theory. Uh, about people who are into friends like believing in Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, the, the Kennedy assassination, the Flat Earthers, all of those, and the way they believe them and how that, that comes about and what they're most likely to and why they believe what they believe. Very interesting uh, discussion from Aon. we were going to get into that. We're going to get into the Democrats' dark money. But I really do want to get to this Brownstone Institute piece about Reparations. Now, most of us are familiar, and I've always been a critic of reparations. I think they're silly. I think they are—they are a way to try to just gin support up for something that really has no logical way to be implemented. Because if you do, if you think about trying to Asheville, the city of Asheville in North Carolina passed a reparations ordinance, basically uh, trying to figure out a way to move forward on getting reparations. And and reparations, by the way, not for. Hispanics that were uh, mistreated or anything that happened there, or uh, people that were indentured servants from another country of, of a different race, or or Asians even, who were indentured servants on the West Coast. Only It's only for former slave descendants. And the issue there becomes one of it. At what point do you, is it a genetic test that determines how much money you would get? You, you would have to go into how do you determine what portion of your background is entitled to some type of reparation and how much would it be? Because they, they never really work. And now they're talking about, you know, the Brownstone Institute is discussing what kind of, with pandemic controls and the kind of damage they did, what kind of punishment do we look at for the people who perpetrated this? How do you compensate the victims of this? And it's kind of taking the conventional wisdom and turning it on it. How wonderful would it be, you know? But what, you know, when you look at this, uh, none of the reparation stuff can undo wrongs. You can't repay costs sufficient to restore what was destroyed. You can't punish people enough to alleviate the suffering that what they did brought about. Because I think these lockdowns are going to be looked at. When in the future we look back, we'll say, well, how wrongheaded this was. It's also the worst possible institution to be charged with such a task. The government is the horrifically wrong group that would ever be in charge of such things, whether it's reparations for slavery or reparations for businesses' damage. It's implausible to believe the perpetrator can be trusted, so you'd have to trust the very people who brought about the problems with doing the fixing, and that hardly ever works out. There's no mucking up for two years of lost education, art, no means to revive the hundreds of thousands of businesses, one-third of all small businesses that were forced to close, no path to restore the life Hopes of millions that were cruelly shattered. There's no fixing those whose cancers were not treated when hospitals were closed to routine screenings. No way to bring back those who died alone without friends or family because their loved ones had to comply with stay-at-home orders. The damage is done. The carnage, it's all around us. Nothing can change that. We can hope for truth and honesty, but longing for pure justice is just not going to work. The real, that realization makes the pandemic response even more morally objectionable. If, however, we think of lockdown reparations as consisting of some form of compensation, there could be a path for a new crop of political leaders to pursue. Meaning, think about how the left makes an issue and, and takes, an exa- takes an issue, exaggerates it, tries to make anyone who opposes that into a racist, bigot, homophobe, is someone who lives under a bridge and knuckles drag and speaks with grunts. That's The left tries to make everyone's a Republican, in, try to put them in that camp. But imagine a political group that rises up and says, hey, I think this business reparation thing, and look at all the horrible things these knuckle-dragging politicians did to us. There is precedent for this. The U.S. government did pay repre- reparations to victims in Japanese internment camps in World War II. Ge- Germany was forced to pay reparations after World War I. It didn't end well. We ended up in World War II. And the very idea baked into the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which says, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation." Lockdowns seem like a taking, as described by the Constitution. Governments took private property from millions of business owners, churches, schools, and families. They took control of hospitals, gyms, recreation centers, meeting locations, skating rinks, movie theaters, libraries, and just about every other business, except the big box stores. Walmart, apparently the germs don't work in the big box stores. Stores. Something magical about big box stores where the germ it just, you go to Ikea and that that, that germ can't function, so Ikea had to stay open. Lovely Ikea store there, Charlotte, by the way. Uh, and they didn't pay for this. This was clearly unjust, that the feds doled out low-interest loans and so on to sustain many hardly makes up for taking away the right to do business. Even if you believe that all this taking was necessary for public use, there is still the job of compensation. The trouble is that the payer, namely the government, has no resources of its own. Everything it pays. Remember when when when... When Josh Stein and Governor Cooper want to expand Medicaid, Medicare, whatever, they want to expand all these government programs, you, you want to pretend that the government has all this money. Governor Cooper's fond is saying, there's millions that we didn't get. But everything that the government pays, it gets from taxing, borrowing, or inflating, all of which comes out of the productivity of others, which means even more taking. It also doesn't seem right to take the compensation fund, even from the big businesses that got rich, just because they did, in fact, provide a service. Lockdowns and related mandates did not create wealth or solve any market failures. They were pure acts of destruction. The lockdowns only did damage. They did not generate any surplus wealth from which the victims can be compensated. This is, in fact, one reason that you have to limit the state's power of eminent domain. But this was like an eminent domain, wasn't it? These businesses that were forced out of business. They were forced. It's just... Unbelievable. The burden of government, according to the American Action Forum five years ago, cost small businesses 3.3 billion hours, $64 billion per year. It, it just, you know, you look at this. We already, it's look, I've had several small businesses. It's not easy. The lockdowns were, he finishes this way. The lockdowns were and are an intolerable attack on property rights, the freedom of association, free enterprise, basic rights of trade and exchange that have been a bedrock of a thriving economy since the ancient world. They were also without precedent on this scale. We need a clear statement from the top that this was wrong and did not achieve what they told us it was supposed to achieve. A well-constructed reparations package would make the point. We should be under no illusions that this is going to happen, but it's still interesting to consider. Again, that's what we do. We should be talking about things. We should be talking about things. And so many times when you have an idea, and again, he even points out the absurdity of the idea. But the point being, how far the government went, even Governor Cooper in this state and the lockdown fanatics, I, I mean, very quickly as we get to the top of the hour, have a friend whose parents won't even go in a store with her to pick out a wedding dress they, unless that store is all masked up and everyone can prove they had a vaccination. The insanity of people's psychological makeup, the, the damage done to these people is unflippin' believable. Oh, by the way, and this was in Charlotte just yesterday. So much more to go as always here on WBT. Do stay tuned. Looking forward to talking to you guys again on Monday. Have a great weekend.